Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We have been on the road between Salt Lake City and Provo. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's a good title for our show this morning because we are on the road. Yeah, but we're not going as often or as to as many places to speak. We're doing more online now, which is nice. Although we're headed off to Omaha, Nebraska to give a speech uh, in a day or two. And we're actually doing a, a speech today at the Salt Lake International Airport for airport employees. Someone had a good idea, thought that, hey, these people work at the airport. They're busy people. They've got a lot going on. Why don't we do some kind of a seminar for them in terms of how their lives are going and how their balance is going and how their families are going? And so we're going to be out there this afternoon, and we thought we would give a little preview to you, Iris on the Road listeners, of what we're going to say. So, Linda, let me ask you a question to start off, okay? Okay. You, being the expert that you are on family and all things connected to family. Absolute expert. um, We once were asked to uh, boil down what we thought the most important things were for families or for parents to focus on. And it was an interesting time because... Our good friend Stephen Covey, who has written the preface for a lot of our books and who's who we miss every day since he's been gone, and whose most famous and best-selling book that he ever wrote was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And we, in a joking way, said, well, Stephen, we, we think seven's too big a number. Nobody can remember seven. We're going <laughs> to produce a book called Three Steps to a Strong Family, just three. And we really were kidding with him, of course, but we do think there are three things that are probably the hallmarks of all really good functional families. They need to have three things. And Linda, what are those three things? They need to have family laws. And we're talking about little children, but it doesn't hurt to have it go through the fiber of your family um, for a long, forever. Um, family laws, uh, a family economy that everybody deals with, um, how, earning, spending, saving, giving, money. Um, and the last one is family traditions. Every family needs to have some beautiful family traditions that the kids can plan on that is part of the fiber of their family. So in other words, if someone were asked to just strip it down, get, I mean, there's a, parenting's a complicated job. There's so many things to think about, but if you had to strip it down to just three elements that really need to be present in a family that's going to last and that's going to be reasonably functional and that's going to avoid some of the pitfalls that are so prevalent in families, We feel like those would be the three things. And another way to think about it, Linda, and then you can comment further if you would, is any institution that you hope to last or to be preserved or to, you know, continue to be 
important in people's lives really has to have those same three things. Any institution, think of a think of a school or a fraternity or um, a country, a country even for that matter. They have to have a set of rules and laws that 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 make behavior somewhat reliable and standardized. They have to have some kind of an economy, some kind of a a way to delegate and to cooperate within an, a working economy. And our economy is really struggling right now in the USA, but <laughs> let's aside the point. Yeah. And all great institutions have a set of traditions or rituals. That's what keeps people together and keeps people united in what they do. And so how do you think those things, I mean, is it possible to say because all institutions need those things and family is the most basic institution, a good family has to have those three? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And when we were doing this for years, we um in our rounds in different countries, it seemed to apply in any country, anywhere around the world. And I think that we were speaking to young children when we were talking about family laws. But I think if you set up family laws when your kids are little, um, it somehow does have a, a lasting effect as far as when they grow up and so on and what they teach their children. I, I do think that's been a, a really good um, foundation for our kids that there were things they could do and they couldn't do and not not very many um, we started right. out we started out with adding a law every week when somebody you know in, uh, the first one was from a three-year-old <laughs> never hit other little girls and you know that was a good law and then uh, the second two-year-old was never plug and plugs which we um, in, installed the day she was going to with a fork toward an outlet and so you know some they, they got to be kind of frivolous and then uh, by the time our oldest was eight and by now she's coming and saying mom in the whole bible there's only ten commandments come on we got to simplify this this is crazy and she was right so we got it down to five single one word laws that everyone knew they could repeat we we had a song we, we just so it was in their fiber, this is what we do. Well, and I think, now get, keep in mind, we're just talking about these three basic things, family laws, family economy, and family traditions. And Linda, though, I think you're rightly putting the laws first, and, and some, some families say rules, but it is amazing how, how many families really don't have a formal set of rules. I mean, they... they yeah, the the worst thing I think is laws that come and go and and rules that come and go and and enforcement that comes and goes and, and consistency yeah. and and all of that and so we've for years advocated just having some really simple family laws. Ours are just five in number. Sing the song, Linda. What was our song? No, not by myself. You've got to sing it with me. <laughs> we used to open our little family home evenings every week with this song, right? I guess so. Not every week. But. <clears throat> Peace, respect, asking, order, obedience. Peace, Peace respect, respect, asking, order, order obedience. obedience. Peace, respect, asking, order, obedience. These Peace are our family, family laws. <laughs> That's really complicated. And astute but um they got it well think about it and we're not going to suggest what your laws should be but in our case peace that was pretty obvious that meant you don't fight you don't argue if you do there's a consequence 
In our case, the consequence was you have to go sit on the repenting bench with the other child you've been fighting with. Which was a little bench that we brought home from England, just big enough for two kids, rickety and very uncomfortable. And if you don't repent, you stay there all day. And repenting just consists of saying, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do it again. The idea, of course, being kids resolving their own issues. But we worked with that. We worked with, worked with so many families that have had that as one of their laws. Second law is repent, or excuse me, respect. <laughs> Repenting is what you do for the first one. Yeah. And and that simply meant respecting people and respecting your parents and so on. Peace, respect, asking. We don't want to not know where you are. Be sure you've asked before you go somewhere. Order. Your Order room, was a hard your one. Your room has to be reasonably... <laughs> Which that, let's when just, we open the door, we don't want anything to let, fall out. That's, on that's us. about as far as we got. Boy, it is so hard to do that. But anyway, we went through a whole gyration of things on order. Anyway, and obedience, kind of the catch-all for the end. That if we really do look you in the eye and say you must do this, then you need to obey your parents. And now, and we used a game called Simon. I mean, Mom and Dad say instead of Simon says, Mom says do this and then we had this fun practice time and everything but this and the key word was please please and we had to do please so i mean there are these are just simple things and a lot for little kids but boy it really does go through uh, their lives when they have that as a basis so you know again we're not suggesting we know what your laws should be we're just suggesting in every family we need a, a set of laws they ought to be written down we had one guy we spoke to that that actually ran a granite company and he carved his family laws in a in a stone tablet <laughs> and he yeah, said he did. the kids started paying attention after that but they need to be simple and clear and you should think about that if you don't have some simple clear laws and the second thing Linda is a family economy how i mean what's the basic what's the what's the crux what do we mean when we say a family economy well uh, it just, you know, it really has to do with money, um, how to save money, spend money, earn money, give money. Um, it really is essential that these little kids know how to do this. And it's amazing how well they can do, even well, starting when they're just three and four. And I remember you used to always say the whole thing's based on the concept of ownership. Right. Right. Ownership. And actually, I said three or four just now, but um, we didn't start on a formal economy with our kids until they were eight. By the time they're eight, they were pretty responsible and actually really excited about being part of the family economy. And uh, it's a long, complicated thing. We can send you... Uh, a, li a link. Well, yeah. Well, well, well I'm glad you said that, Linda, because for all three of these, for the economy, for the laws, and for the traditions, just go to valuesparenting.com. And on the menu, the drop-down menu, there are the, all three of those things are listed. We call it three steps to a strong family. And so, <coughs> oh, Linda's got a little sneeze. We believe okay. in being real on this show, but sometimes, Linda, when you start sneezing, it might go on. Yeah, true. For anyway, a long time. going on. <laughs> anyway, we would suggest that uh, some kind of an economy is simply to prevent an entitlement trap. Too many kids today, things just get handed to them, and what we need is a simple way where kids have 
certain responsibilities around the house and where they keep track of whether they do those things. And then at the end of the week, instead of an allowance day, allowance is kind of a welfare term. It's like, I'm allowing you to have some money. Here you go. But if kids earn that money, then they start feeling ownership. So set up a chore chart, set up some simple way, design it yourself, but just be sure that you're not handing out money, that there's some connection between performance and reward in your family, and you'll have a family economy. Um, Easy. Easy. (laughs) Um, That is the hardest one. The easiest one is family traditions, and we love family traditions, and we're coming up on Richard's birthday next (laughs) week, actually. So Why we would gotta, you mention that? Because that's our most favorite family tradition for his birthday. Each of the kids have a tradition of their birthday, and you all have traditions. You have Christmas traditions. You have holiday traditions. You have Sunday traditions. We just suggest you write them down, formalize them, have kids anticipate them and look forward to them. Well, we had so many kids that we realized we had to do something special for every birthday. So we do, but I think probably yours and Sadie's were the most important. For Sadie's, we float her cake down some water. We just did that the other day, even though she's in her 40s now. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We we went up to Mill Creek Canyon and floated a cake down that little river. And it was so fun. All the kids absolutely loved it. But for your birthday... We jump in the leaves because it's October 28th, so perfect time to jump. Let's take a little break, and then I'll tell my birthday tradition story when we come back. And in the meantime, just to reiterate, three steps to a strong family. That's as much as you can simplify the elements that make a strong family. All strong institutions have rules or laws. They all have some kind of an economy or a way to share responsibility. And they all have traditions and rituals. So we challenge you to come up with that. And that's what Linda's going to be talking about at the airport today. So hang on. We'll be back with Richard's birthday tradition. Hang on. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Um, Slip in that family tradition because it's so fun. Well, you know, it does illustrate a point, I think. We, when our kids were small, we, as you mentioned, Linda, we had this tradition of having doing the same thing on each person's birthday as a family. And the kids said, well, Dad, you're, you know, we love jumping in leaves and your birthday's the end of October and we got to have fun and do that. And it just got wilder and wilder. Every year on my birthday, we'd find a bunch of leaves. We, we, as they got older, we have to go to a park. We need bigger leaves. We need more leaves. We need to jump out of trees into the leaves. And it just became pretty wonderful. And what ended up happening is that... Uh, I don't know. What would you say? It just it, it just mushroomed. But then the real point of the story, and I think the time when I first really realized how powerful these traditions are, is when our oldest three kids all left. One year, they all left home the, the same year because two of them went on missions for our church and one started college. And so here I was, my birthday approaching, and... Uh, 
you know, my three kids are not there, and I felt kind of an empty, lonely feeling. And then on my birthday, I went to the mailbox, and there were three birthday cards. And I thought, wow, these kids are awesome. They remembered. And I opened the first one, which was from our daughter, who was serving a mission in Bulgaria. And there was not a birthday card in there. It was just a leaf. And that leaf fell out onto my desk and had a Post-it note on it that said, Dear Dad, this is a leaf from Bulgaria. The orphans where we've been serving helped me celebrate your tradition. And I just started to tear up. And I and the last line I've never forgotten. She said, Dad, just because I'm far away, don't forget I'm still part of our family. And I thought that's what traditions do. They just unite families together. They're powerful. They're not silly, even though they might seem so at the time. They're they're powerful. I opened the next one, our daughter in Romania on a mission, and there was another leaf. They had not communicated with each other. They just this just meant a lot to them. Another leaf and another note. Happy birthday. I celebrated your tradition in Romania. Well, the third one was from our son. <laughs> and I thought, well, that'll be a card. He you know, I opened it and another leaf fell out. No note, because this was our son. He just I right. could, I can imagine him in his college dorm. I'll just send Dad a leaf. He'll know what it means. Yeah, yeah, that's just Josh. But it was so fun to get those. So we're just saying traditions are so powerful, more powerful than we realize. To stick your family together, the glue that holds your family together forever. So now we're going to shift to um, a subject which you have more input on. Well, I guess we're gonna we're gonna kind of do a double theme at our speech this afternoon and um, we're going to start out talking about their families but then how would you say it Linda we're going to kind of broaden it out well there'll be single people there I think and there'll be people who don't have children so we'll um, cover both bases and so we're going to shift to life balance the idea of getting more balance in life because we feel like we live in a world that is so demanding and so complicated at times that we tend to lose our balance. We tend to lose our sense of priorities and what really matters most. And I think I'll, I'll start out that section of the speech, Linda, with a, with a little metaphor. And the metaphor is juggling. Um, sometimes people tend to feel like they're just, they got too many balls in the air, you know. How do, I, how do I not drop one? How do I keep them all in the air? And what we like to do is ask people, um, using that metaphor, what are the things that are most important to you? What are the balls, so to speak, that you're juggling in your life? And how do you keep them all going? How do you keep them all going? Or maybe you think of it as spent plates that are spinning on, uh, you know, life gets pretty complicated. But I like to juggle a little bit, and so I like the juggling metaphor. And some maybe we'll do this today. Sometimes we bring tennis balls or we have fruit or something, and we, when someone says, uh, I say, well, you know, what are, the, what are the most important areas of your life? And someone will say, well, my work. Okay, we'll throw them a tennis ball. And someone will say, well, um, politics is important to me. We'll throw them one. And someone will say, well, exercise. I need, uh, you know, I need to take care of myself better. We'll throw them a tennis ball. 
and it just keeps going and they'll get up to maybe nine or ten things that are all important none of them can be dropped and then I'll do the metaphor where I'll say okay well now throw those throw those balls back to me and I'm gonna juggle them I'm gonna juggle these nine or ten balls and of course I can't do it and I throw them in the air and they, they fall and we drop them and so on and it's sort of a metaphor of how how often we get caught up in things and we're just in over our heads and we're not able to keep things going and then I think what I'll do today Linda is make the suggestion that sometimes it's not about getting to be a better juggler sometimes it's about being more selective in what we juggle and then we'll pose the main question which is of all these balls we're trying to juggle with our lives what are the if you had to get it down to three, if you had to get it down to just three of those balls that are so critical that you don't want to ever drop them, what would they be? And that's always an interesting discussion, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, because you say, well, wait, uh, this is, oh, this is really important. Well, this is really important. And you keep saying, no, no, we can't get it down to three. But Actually, you can make your mind funnel into the three most important things. And and we we we're pretty we're when we have this discussion, we we don't give away the answer. We just kind of stay with it. Well, can you think of one that we would all agree on? What if we're just going to have three priorities in life? What can we all agree on? And pretty quickly they will say, "Well, family. Family has to be one of those three. It has to be one of those three no, priorities. Whether you're married and have your own family or whether you're part of another family, family always makes the list of the final three. And I think it's pretty fair, and I think this will happen today, Linda. The other one that's predictable is people will eventually say, well, work. My, my, work, my work is important. I have to do that work. Um, that's got to be one of the three priorities. The third one really gets interesting because some people say, well, church, church has to be the third one. And others will say, well, you know, community service has to be the other one. And other people will say, no, exercise has to be the third one. And you get quite a debate going. And usually audiences come around to the idea that the third, the third priority is yourself. But it may be different for different people, right? Well, and then yourself includes service yeah. to other people. So, um, and that's a hard one because really we could have had four: self and service. But, but I can't juggle four. But you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll have to do that. But self and service for women, though, I do have to say I get caught up with service so much that I'm not taking care of myself, and I think sometimes we are yeah. as mothers we. We really are just giving everything all the time. and uh, You can't draw from an empty well. You've got to put yourself as one of those three top priorities. Right. I mean, really yourself. Take care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So um, anyway, that one's a full one. Yeah. And so anyway, then what I'll do is I'll demonstrate, I'll, I'll juggle those three and I'll say, you know, I can do this all day. I'm not going to drop one of these. And, and it's really important every single day you take care of each of these three priorities, your work, your family, and yourself. And we'll get into a discussion of what can be done each day. And I think we'll give them all a little, a little book, a little gold book where they can practice 
having, you know, before they plan their day, before they get into their schedule, before they get into their, and I should say we, because we do the same thing. We try to get up every morning and before we turn on our computers or look at our screens or start making lists, before we do any of that, we, we say to ourselves, what is one thing that's important that I'm going to do for my family today? What is one thing that is really important to work that I'm going to be sure I get to today? And what is one thing that I really need today to maintain my own edge and my own health and my own competence and to take care of the things that matter to me personally? And list those things, one, two, and three. We call those the choose-to-dos. Think about those first before you think of the have-to-dos. We've done some, seen some studies where, you know, people are asked, what do you think of when you first wake up in the morning? And, and the most common answer is, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do today? And no, they start actually, listing the, things. The first thing is, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, but, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think we'll get into that and, and try to help people balance those three top priorities. Yeah, well, that's an hour and a half discussion. But just briefly, that is so important. And this reminds me that I need to get back to doing some things that I, I mean, it's a constant struggle to do it because there's so many crises in your life all the time. We thought when our kids would leave, it would be over. It'd be fine. And it is not. It just keeps going. There's so many demands, and it's just so important to remember that you can choose to do some things. Actually, the first thing we choose to do is to have a prayer. And a lot, a lot of times it comes to us during that prayer, um, what we should do for those three things. And um, doing that consistently makes a huge difference. It's just being consistent and doing that. You know, it's really the old, it's the old Socrates thing that, you know, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. And we're just going to suggest to these people today that you, you need to examine every day. Are you doing something every day for each of those three priorities, yourself, your family, and your work? And other things seem to take care of themselves. And you kind of redefine what a perfect day is. A perfect day is not a day when you get all the little things checked off on your list. That might be a boring day or a routine day. A perfect day is when you do something meaningful for yourself and something meaningful for your family and something meaningful at work that you choose to do, that you think about, that you decide to do. That's really, really powerful. And so that you're not just part of a river going this. And I feel like that a lot of times. I'm part of this river with three kids in transition, moving in and out of houses and to the other across the country. It really, it takes over your life, um, things that are happening or crisis that are you're dealing with in your own family. But if you just take a minute to concentrate on the three things that are most important in the morning and try to make them happen, then it makes it feel so much more um, peaceful and in, in order. I think, Linda, in our speech today at the airport, I, I want to try to get into one other kind of balance. If we call this, what we've talked about, if we call it, priority balance, there is another kind of balance called attitude balance. And I think it's the key is balancing structure with spontaneity. I think we get into a habit where we're so structured these days that there's no time for fun. There's no time for being spontaneous. There's no time for just doing something that you didn't plan to do because it comes up. Right. You know what? This is so important to us. I think we should just 
do the whole next show on um, being spontaneous and doing some things that you want to do. Let's do a pod. Let's do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, let's do that because it really has made a huge difference in our lives. I think what I'm going to do, and we're we're kind of planning our speech with you on the podcast today, but I think I think there's a name for each of these types of balance. For priority balance, we call it stewardship because the three most important stewardships we have are our family, our work, and ourselves. And for the attitude balance, we call it serendipity because serendipity really means you, you do the things you're supposed to do and that you have to do and that are structured, but you also watch for opportunities to do things you didn't plan to do. And serendipity is a state of mind whereby a person frequently finds something better than that which he was seeking. So, so we'll do a whole show on yeah, that. We we'll do our next podcast So hang on in that. because we would love to share some thoughts with you on that. So thanks for joining us today. Um, we hope you've got a little kernel here and there, and we'll see you next time on Irish on the Road. Bye-bye for now.